If your job is on life support, you need the job doctor. My brain is a walking database of thousands of case studies on how careers rise and fall. I'll help you diagnose what's really going on. It's the guidance you need to get back on track from someone who's been there. You can make the money you always wanted to make, doing the type of work you have always wanted to do. You may just need a little help from the job doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Job Doctor. Today's episode is going to be different from our normal fare. This one will be intensely personal. Uh, Many of you know that uh, my son was recently uh, paralyzed in an accident, and uh, we are coping with what that looks like. And this will be the first podcast episode that we've recorded since then. I have with me today Dr. David H. Rossmarin, somebody that I was incredibly lucky to stumble upon when our book publishers put us together. And he's the author of Thriving with Anxiety that comes out here on October 17th, which is a fabulous book. He's an associate professor at Harvard Medical School, a program director at McLean Hospital, and founder of Center for Anxiety, which provides services for over a thousand patients a year in many different states. He's considered an international expert. He's written several books on this vein. Uh, an expert on spirituality and mental health. And he's been featured in Scientific American, Boston Globe, Wall Street Journal. Let's just say he's legit. But we're really happy to have him here. And we're going to have a conversation today. Welcome to the show, David. Tessa, thank you so much. It's really such an honor to be here and uh, a great blessing that uh, we were put in touch. I know. We thought that we were going to be talking about how we help each other with our books And we ended up getting in a very personal conversation, making a connection, and thought we would just continue it here. I would be honored. And uh, at the outset, you know, what your family's been going through is just uh, excruciating. It is. Um, And for those who don't know, and maybe you're just catching this podcast, uh, my son shot himself, uh, it was about two and a half months ago, went in his neck, out his neck, and in his shoulder. He clipped C1, C3, C4. Um, It is incredibly lucky that he's alive. We don't know how that actually worked. Every doctor has said that the odds that he's alive are so crazy. And uh, so he knows he's here for a reason, but um, we are left now with a very changed life. You know, my son struggled with depression for many, many years. And and the last three years, he's been working through alcohol um, rehab and trying to kick you know, an alcohol addiction. And it was, has just been harder than he thought. And so suicide, addiction, those all play into this. And here we are. We took him home three weeks ago, and now we are figuring out what our house looks like with nurses and aides and seven doctors and three doctor appointments a day in different parts of the state and et cetera, et cetera. So that's where we are for those listening. As someone in your position, David, I'm sure you can look at that through clinical eyes and say that might be a little bit messy. A little bit. Well, first, you know, my first reflection on it is um, it is through clinical eyes and as a researcher. And it's incredible to me how many stories I get on weekly, monthly basis, which are strikingly similar. Um, Suicide is and suicidality are just through the roof in our country. And there's almost no family that's not affected in some way, not just by a little anxiety and depression, but by something much more serious. 
Um, I don't know if you're aware, suicide is the second leading cause of death in America today yeah. for people under age 35. And this is this is an epidemic of massive proportions. Yes. Potentially the worst health crisis we've ever had. It's horrible. I, I hear from people all the time. And, and one of the difficult things is, and I, I understand it at a whole different level, when families are dealing with this and they still are, have to go to work and make a living, right. you can't shut off your private self and your work self, they kind of merge together. And people are really struggling with, how do I deal with it at home? First of all, how do I keep my loved ones safe? How can I get help? In a world, there's not enough help. And I've called 20 therapists just to try and get into one. So I understand it's a problem. Um, and and yeah. then how personally do you cope at the same time when you're dealing with someone you love that's struggling? Yeah, Tessa, given your experience and extensive uh, expertise as a job doctor, as somebody who's, um, you know, understands corporations in and out and the workforce in and out from many different expert vantage points, that was going to be my number one question for you of, you know, how are you balancing this personal crisis alongside your many responsibilities as, uh, you know, as a star in in many ways? And uh, as somebody who um, has very significant work-related stress, even without, notwithstanding what's happening at home. You know, I've, I've been through a lot of tough shiz in my life. I mean, my, my story is, is messy through, throughout, but this takes the cake. Um, this takes it to a whole other level. And honestly, I'm not managing it well. I've had to, you know, my social team has kept my social media going from old mm-hmm. clips and they've had to keep that going so that my followers can continue to see content because you've got to feed the beast if you're an influencer. Right. But um, in terms of my actual daily work, which was largely travel, that is that is not able to happen right now. Yeah. You're not going anywhere with this. At no, all. I'm not going anywhere. So not only do I have to pivot my business model and how I reach people to do more virtual, even when I do work, I find that my brain is just not working well. I am the most productive person on a good day that you've ever met. I can change the world in a day, but since this accident, I am I, I consider it a great success if I can have two meetings in a day and stay locked in, do my follow-ups, and get through the day. That's so, a huge change for someone who's been in the position you're in. Massive. Um, let me ask you though, you know, is that is that the worst? Part of it, I mean, in terms of you know impact on your no, career, oh my gosh, what what is? <laughs> it, it's just it, it's hard to describe unless you're going through it because you've got your personal feelings about what's happening, a child who's in distress and who you're worried about. Can they? Will they live? What will their life look like? But then it's how can I care for them? Then there's my personal relationships with my husband, who are very very strained. We're in a blended family. And so Zach is not his child. And the money, another element, which is the costs are enormous because insurance is so messy and so messed up that, you know, how do you pay for an additional 8,000 a month in out-of-pocket expenses? Incredible. And how do you, how do you pay for the extra? How do you find the time? Which one of you, we're both executives and been quite successful in our own rights. Which one of you has to give up your dream to go drive Zach to and from and help him? And because you have to be present for him. Imagine Zach, he can't move. And then you have a day where he falls. He fell a few weeks ago backwards off cement steps 
And mm-hmm. we thought we had completely re-injured, you know, his, his spine and, and actually may have, huh. you know, stuff like that it, it, just every day. And then your friendships, if you can never leave home for a while, then what happens to your friendships and our other children who say, we miss you. We haven't seen you for two and a half months. We have five other children who need us. So all of that plays into, you know, this time and it, it it's just incredibly complex. What would you I recommend? For, what would you recommend in a situation <laughs> like, like that? What kinds of, you know, I'm, I am literally, it's like the tail end of the dog, just getting drug around doing my very best to keep my head above water each day and prioritize and at the same time shrink down what was a very big life to accommodate this new normal. But what tips or help? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, there are a couple things that are coming to mind. First of all, again, putting in context that this is a really common occurrence today, and you are definitely not alone. And I think that given that that's the case in our society, and given your position, you're actually very well poised to utilize this really horrific experience that you're going through to create a new vista, potentially, to have a greater, not only emotional strength from within, but to be able to see where that takes you for what you do in terms of being able to help others. Because there are so many important skills and tools that not only do you need, but everyone needs today. And if you can master this yourself, it would potentially change the world. So there are three strategies that are coming to mind that I think might be helpful for you. And frankly, for anyone else going through a crisis, especially while managing things at home and and work as well. The first is making sure that your uh, relationships at home, specifically romantic relationships, are in top shape. That is a critical resource, number one. Number two is taking things down a notch at work, um, which I think you're actually doing. And uh, I hope we'll speak more about that. And the third one is the hardest of all, which is giving up some control. Because crises really expose the fact that we're not in control of a lot of aspects of life. And yes, we have to do whatever we can. But at the end of the day, there are certain aspects. And when we give up that control, when we relinquish it, often the best answers just come to us. It's funny that you say that third one because uh, the word that came to mind the other night when I went to bed was surrender. I told my husband, that is the theme of this year, surrender. There's so much I can't control and so much I can't fix that I just have to surrender a lot of it to a lot of my life right now to what actually is going to happen and let it be. Very true for all of us, whether you are or are not going through a crisis, we still have to surrender, but somehow these crises bring that to the fore and all the more reason that we need to use that skill Mm, during a crisis. I would agree. The most important out of all the things that you mentioned so far, and the most concerning to me is that you said that this is creating somewhat of a rift at home. Mm -hmm. And it was a passing comment. I think you've spoke mostly about your son. You spoke uh, mostly about work, mm-hmm. and uh, but there was a comment there about how it's affected your relationship with 
your husband and that it's a blended family. When we are facing a personal crisis and trying to balance work and managing the crisis, we need love at home to be able to connect us, to be able to make it through. And that love, those connections that we have should be ideally a resource to be able to manage the stress as opposed to an additional stress. When they're in additional stress, our love relationships, the effect is exponential. It's not just a multiplier like times two or times three. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a, an exponent, which means you multiply the number by itself, sometimes to many, mm -hmm. many times over, like a double digit exponent. And I've seen people who use the opportunities of struggle and strain and challenge in their life to lean in and lean on their relationships, lean into their relationships, but it doesn't always happen. And sometimes these crises create a lot of tension and strain at home, which I let me ask you, like of all the, you're dealing with your son and the medical issue and the case management and, you know, the worry about him. You're dealing with the career aspects mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how to balance that. Then you're also dealing with your relationship. Of those three, which is the most painful? And of the three, the relationship is the most painful because that- I had a feeling, had a feeling you would yeah, say that. Yeah, that's, you know, you want, if that can't be there or if there's a significant amount of strain, you're right, it is a multiplier and it makes it 10 times worse to handle the other things. At least. Right? And and for us, we my husband was actually just going to quit his job in September to f join me full-time to build- the job doctor because oh we've been God, having so bad. he had already let his employer know terrible and he's had to retract and go back and say no i gotta stay and so he's needing to get his arms around new dream you know and so that on top of just the tension alone about what do we do and so it, it is you just need somebody to be able to go to at night and just say help, you know, can we just talk about, can I just cry on your shoulder? So I would agree with you on that. And yet I've read also, and tell me if this is true, experiences like this, a death of a child or serious illness, do often create a high percentage of people get divorced. Is that true? It does. It does happen. I don't think it always has to be that way. You know, mm -hmm. I saw this over uh, during the pandemic mm -hmm. that relationships either got a lot stronger mm -hmm. or basically fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, as people had a lot more time together, people had a lot of concerns and either they had a lot of stress and people either brought that stress into the relationship in a way that divided them mm -hmm. or they did it in a way that actually united them and made them able to care for each other. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of the tools in my book actually on thriving with anxiety is when we are struggling, can we be vulnerable with our loved ones? Can we say, hey, mm -hmm. I really need you right now. There's a big difference between saying you need to do this because this is wrong <laughs> mm -hmm. or this is right Yes. versus it doesn't matter whether it's wrong or right. What matters is that I need you and I am going through a crisis right now. Mm -hmm. I'm in pain mm -hmm. and I need you to love me and to be there for me the way I need. That's a very different conversation than this is the right thing to do. That's the wrong thing to do. And when we get into those you know, almost partisan wars over, mm -hmm. you know, this is the right, this is, you know, that that's all theory and it doesn't matter. And it certainly doesn't create connection that we need so desperately when we're going through crises. 
Well, then I'm very pleased to say the first thing we did was got a marriage counselor for the two of us. Good for you. And initially we said, you know, that's the last thing we need. Let's focus on Zach. And we quickly mm-hmm. said, actually, that's the first thing we need. First thing. And I'm really glad that we have because it's keeping the wheels on, you know, during really complicated conversations and really complicated times. They are complicated conversations. When the stress is high, couples often do not see eye to eye with each other. They, you know, want to take a different tack. They're blaming each other uh, as opposed to leaning um, on each other and leaning into the relationship. The key is vulnerability. You know, in our society and as, you know, somebody who's worked in corporate America, you definitely appreciate that. Oh, yes. It's not like a, it's not a great thing to show, hey, I need help right now. Hey, I'm struggling right now. Um, hey, I'm anxious right now. Hey, I'm, this is a crisis for me right now. You know, those, you walk into an HR department and you say those things, you're, it's risky. Right? It is. And I'm an H, I'm an old HR person, right? And I'm the first one to tell people it can hurt you. It, it doesn't always help you. And unfortunately, corporate America has a long way to go in terms of humane leadership, right? I was thinking about this the other day and I thought, thank heavens my employer's me. So I can show grace to me and say, Tessa, you can't work today. You're a disaster. Don't work today. But not everybody has that ability to do that. Right. And when you're feeling an intense amounts of anxiousness or stress, um, even depression, I'm realizing that, you know, you in my generation would try and separate. I've got my personal self and my work self. I don't think that's fair and I don't think it works. And especially in this situation, it's brought the point home that, the two merge together whether I want to or not. I cannot be sure. my best self as the job doctor when my personal life is an absolute shambles right now and I'm trying to put it all together. Like it does have an effect. So, yeah, you know, and what? that actually leads into the sort of mm-hmm. second recommendation I was going to make, which is I think it's fantastic that you're limiting yourself to only a couple of meetings a day and you're not doing nothing. Like you're not, you know, we're doing mm-hmm. this podcast today, you're having a conversation. In fact, what you're really doing today is amazing. You're really bringing in this personal aspect of this crisis into your workplace, which, as you said, thank heavens, you're able to do so as mm-hmm. a you know somebody who owns your own business. Um, I do think there are creative ways to do that at work. It might not be through HR. It might not be through your manager. Um, and you can tell me a lot more about this. But from a clinical standpoint, if there's a friend at work, if there's you know, a happy hour you can go to just to cry on someone's shoulder or maybe just a little tear. Uh, It doesn't have to be a whole gush. Um, But somebody at work, I think, should probably know about what's going on so that they can cover for you. So that way you don't feel like you completely have to hide. Mm -hmm. Um, I realize not everybody has that situation. And sometimes you really just have to keep it together. If that's the case, it's probably more about limiting Um, whether it's going part-time or whether it's, you know, cutting, you know, not taking on certain new projects that are going to make things worse. But when you're going through a crisis, you know, that's not, it's not time to get creative at work. Let's Mm -hmm. just keep going, stay on the train, don't get off the train, just, you know, coast with it, let the inertia take you. Um, Often I found clinically when people are going through a crisis, they pour themselves into their work. I've done that before. Yeah, I've done that before when hard things have happened. It usually does not end well. It did not Typically, end well for me either because you yeah. get you get you get out of balance very very quickly and then you neglect the other elements of your life that are important that will fall apart if ignored. 
Yeah. Usually the personal problems mm-hmm. get worse. Yeah. And the issues at work, whatever you're chasing, usually just poof. And sometimes that even creates more issues at work. So it's mm-hmm. it's an avoidance strategy, which is not healthy. When you're going through a crisis, take things down a notch at work. It'll be more painful because you have to think about what's happening. Yeah. It's not, it's not comfortable to think about this. You'd prefer to yeah. be like gunning it and doing great things on social or wherever you are. But it's not, I love the fact that you've cut down and you're spending time with your son and you're, that was a great skill. And it sounds like the first skill of trying to, you know, get things going with your, with your husband is, is great too. Well, I've had to learn to say no, which is uncomfortable. I think not just for me, but for many people, I've had to say no to really good partnerships and collaborations and business deals. And I've had to just think, you know, yeah, that's a great deal, but right now, can I do it? Can I reasonably do it? And I've had to be very, very deliberate. And I think your advice to others to not take on too much and to just, you know, I like coast, do the job, but coast and, and connection. That's the other thing I picked out of it is you're saying you've got to have connection points at home and connection points at work because to have somebody, I love have somebody cover for you. Some have somebody that you can if you're falling apart, that can kind of swoop in and help a little bit or, you know, create some cover for you. Right. How a big is, bit. how big is connection? Because I, I, Everything. my go-to is to go private. I stop calling my friends. I don't reach out on the phone. I don't want to talk about it and I go quiet and I've had to work many, many years to force myself to do the thing I don't want to do. But connection does seem important. It's not only important, it's critical. There's a uh, research that's come out of my department in, in Boston, um, showing that the number one predictor of people's happiness and thriving at age 80 is the quality of their relationships at age 50 and 60. Mm. It's everything. Wow. We need to have, we are not meant to be isolated. You know, we are social creatures, social beings, social animals, as it's said. Um, and not just superficial work relationships that you're getting things done. It's a shoulder to cry on. Tell me then, you know, my son, this is his, my son is, his go-to is to be quiet and to go isolate in his, that's what he's done for, for decades. He'll isolate in his room, go to work, then isolate and not have friendships. And I, and I feeling since we've got out of the hospital and he's had that regular interaction every day with the same PT therapist, his isolation coming back and not wanting to come out of his room more and more each day. Um, what kind of connection would you recommend? Because it feels a little forced and false. And, and plus, in his case, I think he's very embarrassed for people to see that he sure. can't walk. and He's not the same. He doesn't look the same as he did before. Yeah. Firstly, I think you mentioned before about paralysis. Like, is he, is he immobile at this point? He can, he's learning to walk again. So he's got a, a very odd gait and he had a stroke. So it, it, a dragging leg. And he cannot use his left arm, so it's kind of dead weight, but he can has limited movement in his right arm enough he can he can eat, but it's not you know it's not pretty yeah, um that's gonna complicate things, and um you know, I think his his sort of go to of isolation is something that sounds like a long standing issue, and now you're layering on top of that a serious medical complication which is gonna make it harder for him. That's a tall ask of him to be able to socialize. At the same time, it will be critical for his recovery. But I think there's another 
piece of this, which is implied in your question. And I want to dig into a little if it's okay. Yes. You want to fix him, right? I want to create conditions that can help him come out of this. I, I, he won't let me fix him. But yes, I'm a control okay. freak. I'm a control I'm freak. we've accepted that. I am a control freak straight up. <laughs> Anybody who knows me says I'm a control freak. All my kids know I'm a control freak. And we talk about like, mom, here's where you're going to have to pull back, you know. But I do, I'm trying to create conditions that can help him knowing he won't do it. He has not had the practice to do it for decades. Right. And this is where the third strategy comes in. Yeah, where's the balance, you know? Which is the hardest one to talk about, which is the acceptance piece Mm -hmm. that sometimes these crises, there really is only so much that we can do. Mm -hmm. And yes, you got to fight for your kid. You got to do on the one hand, whatever you can to maximize the chances of him being able to recover mentally, emotionally, behaviorally, medically, spiritually, and in every, in every way. At the same time, it is his choice. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's to me, what you're going through in some ways is a paradigm for what everyone goes through, which is that we try the best that we can. At the end of the day, it's really usually up to factors that are beyond our control, whether things do or don't take. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was looking at um, one of your videos beforehand, before our meeting today, and um, y- you said something along the lines of you didn't plan to do anything in social media ever. And I think your daughter put something on That's right. social and then mm-hmm. it just blew up overnight. And, you know, if success can be spontaneous and not planned and not due to our efforts. So all the more so that challenges and a lack of success can be out of the blue. And I think it's amazing that you're doing what you can for your son. But like, I did pick up on that. Um, You said a control freak. That's a little strong. Um, But uh, yeah, I, what's what's it like to talk about it in this way? It's really, it's hard because I have a feeling it's, it's a difficult thing. It's fun. It's interesting to watch. I'll share a story with you. Uh, He's very sensitive to people seeing the new him, but then we had a, one friend come over with his child and his child walked in the door and his parents had talked to him about what had happened. And he looked at Zach, he's about four years old and he goes, Hey, that hole in your neck is really big. And that's the, you know, the first thing he said. And, and I thought Zach would just die, you know, cause it's what all of us think because you've got two bullet holes that they're so ever present. And, Uh and Zach put this big smile on his face and he goes, yeah, they are. And then the kids said, well, my mom and dad were talking about gun safety and you should never point a gun, you know, and this little kid went off and, and I thought Zach would be upset and mortified. But after the little boy left, he said, I love kids. I love little kids because they say the truth and they take, you know, the, the things that you think everybody else is thinking but doesn't want to say, they just say it so you can get it over with. And then you can continue on, you know, with the conversation. And and I could tell that Zach felt, you know, a closeness to this little kid and an appreciation for it. And it surprised me, you know, that. Well, that's interesting. And in your specific case, that actually does give us a potential avenue to help your son, which Mm -hmm. I'm happy to opine on. Mm -hmm. I want to clarify though what happened here. Mm -hmm. When we get to a place of acceptance, like, okay, there might be nothing I can do. Mm -hmm. Often it's specifically at that moment where we give up 
that all of a sudden the answer becomes readily apparent. Mm, that's interesting. When we're trying to force it and we're like, no, I have to do it this way. And you're like laser focused. It's that happens when we feel anxious or when we're going through a crisis, we're like, I need to solve this now. And then when we get to a place of maybe I won't be able to solve this and it hurts and we go through that pain and we let go, all of a sudden the lights can sometimes come on. Mm, just because the pressure is off. Right. And I'll tell you, if that might have been what just happened in the last three, four minutes of conversation. It sounds like your son would benefit from being around kids and he wants to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, he might not be able to have those adult relationships that you've been thinking mm -hmm. that he might have. Mm -hmm. Maybe he needs to take it down a notch and to be a, become a teacher or become a lecturer who's going to speak about gun safety for that matter or, or whatever it is mm -hmm. that he goes from high school to high school or from even grade school talking about his experience or um I don't know maybe there's some way to to move forward in in this way um even if it's working at a daycare for a while I mean it mm -hmm. could be it could be anything along these lines mm -hmm. I would go where he wants to go if he's interested in yeah. kids that's really interesting that you bring that up because one of the difficult things about his injury is he used his hands. He he worked on high-end race cars at racetracks and these big races. So, wow. he, so he could literally take, you know, a high-end sports car like a McLaren and you put all the parts in a bag, he could put it together in an hour or, you know, a couple hours. So he's lost the use of his hands. The one thing mm -hmm. that he knows how to do and loves is cars. And um, he's expressed some, like, I, I'm really sad about that. And I hope that I can get some use back, but I don't know if I'll be able to do that again. And um, he said, I, I don't know what careers I can do without these parts of my body that are, everything I love requires my hands. But he did mention, tragedy. he mentioned the other day, he said, I wonder if I could help people. He said, I've had several of the therapists <laughs> up at, this, at the hospital say, you're really motivating, you know, you work really hard and could you come be a mentor and help other people? And and he, and he said it was really an interesting idea to him. And last night when we went to bed, he said, I'm going to start doing an audio journal and just capture a couple of thoughts each night. I don't want you to hear them and I'm not ready for anybody else to hear them, but I want to just start doing a little journal each night about my feelings. And, and this is big because he never talks about his feelings or addresses that this has even happened. And so I thought that was a good step. It's a huge step. And again, though, you know, sometimes, especially kids, especially adult kids, especially adult kids in crisis. Mm, oh, a lot of qualifiers there. <laughs> will not take steps that they need to as long as they feel that it's coming from mom and dad or from someone else. There really needs to be that they're the ones who are initiating yeah. it and it's coming, it sort of has to bubble up from, from, from the ground. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a flower that has to, you can't go into the ground and pull up a daisy. It just doesn't work. You will never be able to do that. You have to wait for it, the bud to just start to pop out of the ground naturally. And wow, look at that. But David, I would like to reach into the ground and pull the daisy <laughs> very much. <laughs> if you, problem is if you do that, usually the, the bulb oh, comes with it. Yeah. And we know what happens then. Yeah. You know, I'm so glad 
that we've had this conversation. I wish, I actually wish I could talk to you for another hour and a half. I have so much that um, I'm swirling around in my mind and I can tell you know a lot about this. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I you. think I think what I'm taking from this conversation is that my big takeaway is I've got to relax a little on trying to orchestrate something for mm-hmm. Zach and allow a little more space for it to happen naturally for him. And I'm going to double down on working on my marriage to make sure we can be strong during this instead of separate. That's what I'm taking from it. So thank you for okay. that. And what about on the work front? The on the work one? front, you know, I think I'm doing okay. I would say so I, too. I feel like I'm scaling back appropriately on that. And what I'm not going to do is shut down the business. There's been several days I've gone, I'm shutting down the business. I can't do it. And Here my husband said, don't you dare. So I am not going to shut down the business. I'm not going to go extreme, but I am going to continue to show myself some grace while we get our footing again. I also like that you're bringing in what's happening in your personal life to this business mm-hmm. and managing to to do that. And it is a blessing to be able to do so as a, you know, being your own boss um, and you're taking that blessing and using it. So I think that's a strength. Well, what I've learned, I got 20,000 notes from people when my, when I Incredible. spoke about it, 20,000 notes. I felt their prayers and uh, I had hundreds of people reach out and say, me too. My son is suicidal. My daughter just, just attempted to take her life and succeeded. And, uh, you know, so I know we're all in pain as people and we might as well address this. This is as important a topic as any that I talk about with work is how do we, how can we be resilient? How can we get through hard times? Because I think our world is hard right now. And a lot of us are feeling it and a lot of us aren't sharing it. So I've made a very deliberate decision to get personal because I think, I think it can help a lot of people and give voice to something that a lot of us are feeling. It sure is. Um, so as, as you know, my, you know, my book is entitled Thriving with Anxiety. And you might think it's an ironic title because you probably don't feel like you're thriving right now. No, I do not. <laughs> right. I think you are. I understand it's a, a critical time and it's a excruciating time. But you're digging really deep, working on your marriage, working on your acceptance, bringing yourself to work, being authentic. It feels terrible. But that is thriving. You know, I worked on acute psychiatric units for many years. And there are beautiful moments that occur, even when people are in severe distress, moments of connection between patients with Mm -hmm. each other, patients and staff, people having family meetings where they finally open up to each other about what's going on. Moments where people are saying like, aha, I realize I have to really give up that idea. It's not going to happen for me but there's a new vista that I will pursue or a new life change or so many, you know, when we are in acute distress, often we are thriving. You don't feel that way. And, you know, there are tools and skills that you are using and there are plenty more that we can do to not only get through crises, but actually to make them in some ways, the most impactful and meaningful moments of our entire life in retrospect. And I I think you know, I think you you will see um, many years from now that, um, you know, that there is positive that's coming out of this. Um, you're certainly uh, an amazing example of how people should handle these crises. 
And I think it'll inspire a lot of people to do so. You know, God knows there's a lot of people who need it um, today, unfortunately. Well, so. I, I hope when we fast forward in a year that I can feel I'm stronger and in a better place. And I, I love your book. You sent it to me and I started to look through it and, and read some of the chapters last Thank night. <laughs> it's called Thriving with Anxiety. And what I love about it is that I think to some degree, all of us are going through stuff and it feels like a really, Definitely. really good book to help understand how to do that a little bit better and how to, how we often misinterpret, like you said, that something's bad because we're uncomfortable, but the ways that it can be helping us and how to, how to kind of navigate through that. I, I'm very much looking forward to reading the whole thing and hopefully reading it over and over again. Oh, thanks, Tessa. I'm so glad that Harper put us in touch. It's really, uh, you're a very inspiring person. It's amazing to, to meet you and speak with you. Well, ditto. It goes both ways. So <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. And everybody, thank you for joining us on another episode of The Job Doctor. If you like my podcast, you will absolutely love my book. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success, Navigating Pay, Promotions, and Power at Work. I wrote it because I could see that people didn't understand why some people got ahead and some people's career stayed stagnant. So if you're interested in building a more frictionless career path for yourself and having a better experience with work, this is a book that you need to have. It's called The Unspoken Truths for Career Success. You can buy it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or go to my website at thejobdoctor.com.